Shalom, I'm Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries. And with me is Robert Walter, our Director of the Ministries in Brooklyn. Shalom and welcome, Robert. Shalom, Mitch, and welcome to the program, everyone. Uh, today on The Chosen People, we are very excited because we're going to be talking about counting the Omer. We're going to talk about what that means, what it is, why the Jewish community does it, and honestly, why it's important and how it fits into the New Testament as well. All right, that sounds great. Now, folks, Robert wants me to call him Robert, but his real name is Bobby, and that's the way I've known him for years. So even if I start out saying Robert, which is much more respectable and, uh, and Bobby's worthy of respect, but I'm going to call him Bobby uh, either way, so I may as well just start by calling him Bobby. So everybody, we're so glad that you're here to understand more about the counting of the Omer. Very mysterious and not exactly a major Jewish holiday, but extraordinarily significant, especially to followers of Jesus the Messiah. Right, Bobby? That's right, Mitchell. <laughs> this is a wonderful topic because it's, it's not a well-known aspect of Jewish tradition and Jewish life. I want to try and fit it in uh, to the, an overall view of the festivals of Israel, which were given by God through Moses to the Jewish people on Mount Sinai in Leviticus chapter 23. That is the foundational passage for Jewish life because it establishes God's holy calendar. In fact, it begins with the weekly holiday, the Sabbath, and so we're to make that day holy. And then we're to celebrate or observe seven other days, and they're all very similar to the weekly holiday, the Sabbath. And so uh, the counting of the Omer is a religious tradition commanded by God that falls between the Feast of First Fruit and the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, or as we say, Shavuot in Hebrew. We're told that the Jewish religious calendar year begins at Passover. That's the Hebrew month Nisan. My friends, that is not a car, that is a Hebrew month. <laughs> and it begins on the 14th of, of Nisan. And for seven days, we're to do unleavened bread. So we combine Passover with unleavened bread. That's eight days. And then at the end of that festival, we have a very quick couple of verses, which really sets the stage for the counting of the Omer. And it's a little-known holiday as well, but it's so critical, particularly to us as believers. So I'm going to read from Leviticus 23, verse 10. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land which I'm going to give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. But then in verse 15, uh, Moses says, you shall also count for yourselves from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. So that's a total of 49 days. And then in verse 16, Moses says, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, that's the 50th day, then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. We want to focus on the 49 days capped by the 50th day where we celebrate Pentecost. So you, you have Passover, you have the Feast of First Fruit, and then you count 49 days and you have uh, the Feast of Pentecost, which is uh, capped by that 50th uh, day. So, Bobby, can you tell us why it's important uh, to believers in Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles? What kind of Old Testament and Jewish insights 
do we get from understanding these great prophetic themes found in the calendar? Yeah, well, I think that's part of the a big takeaway, a big point that we can take from looking at these holidays, at these appointed times in Leviticus 23, as believers today, when we come to the New Testament, we see some major events take place on these holidays. Uh, Like the Passover, for example, is the exact day when Jesus died on the cross and became, as Paul refers to him in 1 Corinthians 5-7, Messiah, our Passover. And then on that Feast of First Fruits, most likely, Jesus rose from the dead. Hey, Bobby, we've got to stop there for a moment because that's so awesome. That's incredible. I mean, th- it wasn't a coincidence. Exactly. These are really prophecies, not just dates to be kept. Exactly. So he died as the Passover, as the sacrifice on Passover. He rose from the dead, as Paul refers to him in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, as the first fruits of the resurrection. Mm. And then over a period of 40 days, he appeared to his disciples. Right, right. And so that was during that 50-day period, the, the countdown. Correct. From the resurrection to, as we know, the day of Pentecost with the sending of the Holy Spirit. I would imagine all of these uh, things are coincidental, probably. I mean, it's just... Well, clearly. Yeah, I mean, clearly it's coincidence. Clearly. So, if there's great meaning to Passover, if there's great meaning to Pentecost, Mm -hmm. then there must be some kind of meaning to the counting of the 49 days. So, what happens during those 49 days in the Jewish community? Right. Well, there's simply every evening during the evening prayers, uh, there's a blessing that's said where you count the day. You, you, so you'll say, you know, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to count the Omer. Today is the first day of the Omer. For me, as a, a Jewish follower of Jesus, uh, I'm, I'm just struck by the importance of those 40 days, which would have been the first 40 days of that period between the resurrection and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And so he, he conducted what I call the most incredible Bible Institute in all of human history for those 40 days, uh, teaching the, the Jewish disciples. And then, uh, you know, they must have really had a hard time because they thought he was coming to establish the Davidic kingdom. Then he dies. Then he rises. And they think, okay, maybe now he's going to establish the Davidic kingdom. Then he takes 40 days and he teaches them about the kingdom of God, according to Dr. Luke. And then... At the end of those 40 days, instead of establishing the the Davidic throne, he's raised, he ascends to sit at the right hand of the Father. So my question is, what's he doing there, Bobby? Yeah. Well, this is, again, part of why it's so important, part of why it's so significant, because we see the ministry that Jesus begins beyond the ascension, or really with the ascension, is he's presented more as uh, transitioning into like a priestly role into ah. this this high heavenly high priestly role where he is constantly making intercession for us. And this is honestly something that's uh, prophesied also in the Old Testament or in the Tanakh. When we uh-huh. look at such an important passage like Isaiah 53, which the entire chapter lays out this one special suffering servant of the Lord who we read in Isaiah 53.10 would become a sacrifice. He would become the guilt offering and and carry the sins of the many and and the iniquity of us all would fall upon him. So the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world is Jesus. 
And he is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Exactly, exactly. And when we see him ascend into heaven, we see him take on this role of not just being the sacrifice, but also being the priest, the one who intercedes on behalf of the sinner. So again, we see this incredible connection between the Old and New Testament. We have to understand that it's one beautiful story. It's one book, promise and fulfillment. And Jesus is the central character. I I love this passage in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in Mm -hmm. things pertaining to God, to make propitiation, that's for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in what he suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who were tempted. So he was perfect. He was without sin, but that doesn't mean he wasn't tempted. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't go through the hardship and and, and trials and tribulations of this life. Right. So we not only have a, a high priest who's sitting on the right hand of the Father, speaking to the Father on our behalf, but he understands us perfectly. And sometimes as believers, we don't take advantage of that relationship, do we? We, we tend to carry our burdens ourselves. We tend to bear our own cross instead of carrying his cross. That's right. Yeah. And, and we can fall into those traps of just feeling so unworthy when we fall short, as if, right. as if we're too unclean in God's eyes. And that's honestly sort of downplaying or ignoring the, the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us and the role that he's in right now. He, he is interceding for us. He is a faithful high priest, and he took that position during the counting of the Omer. Uh, one, one point I wanted to make, Bobby, to our, our friends that I think is important, and that is, even though he was raised, and in, in a spiritual sense, you could say, that he's sitting on the throne of David, uh, it, it doesn't mean that he's not going to one day return and literally sit on the throne of David and make Jerusalem his capital, he is all wrapped up into one person, the prophet, the priest, and the king. He is all three at all times. Right. But the day is coming when his literal, physical, Davidic kingdom will be established in Jerusalem. And so we look forward to that day when the priest comes back as the king. In 1894, Rabbi Leopold Cohn founded Chosen People Ministries in Brooklyn, New York. And today, we stand as a credible, well-established mission that combines Jesus' biblical imperative to go and make disciples with the call to evangelize to the Jewish people first. We accomplish this mission with innovative and forward-thinking creativity. And if you'd like to partner with us this year, go to chosenpeople.com offer, and then click on the Give Today button You can also give a gift through the mail or over the phone. Find all the details at chosenpeople.com slash offer. Your gifts help us continue to proclaim the good news that Messiah has come to Jewish people around the world. And for that, we thank you for your partnership. Welcome back. You are listening to The Chosen People. My name is Robert Walter, and I've been talking with Dr. Mitch Glazer. And there are so many powerful testimonies of Jewish people who have come to faith. And we're about to share one with you right now. This is a close friend of ours. His name is Dr. Rich Flashman, and this is his story of how he saw Jesus in a vision. Being the only son of a Jewish mother, 
Uh, I was made to feel like I was the center of the universe. It was all about me. And then in the world when it wasn't about me, it was shocking to me. And, and I wanted it to be about me. I sought the, the, the approval and the affirmation and the confirmation of these things from other people that in fact it was about me and that I was the center of the universe. I went to a private school and we had to study the life of Jesus uh, at that private school. And I, I didn't like Jesus, but I wanted to hear from my own rabbi why we don't believe in Jesus. And he explained to me that he couldn't be the Messiah because when Messiah comes, he'll bring peace. And since Jesus has already come and there is no peace, he could not be the Messiah. And that satisfied me for about seven years. And I was, I was totally satisfied with that answer. It made sense to me. In college, I became a theoretical Marxist. I believed that, uh, that what the world needed was radical social change. And I really wanted to make a better world. That was my, I, I saw this as, as a source of, of significance and purpose in my life, that I could help bring about a better world for, for uh, mankind. The only problem with my convictions uh, about change, social change and making a better world was the, was the problem of the brokenness in people. My own personal brokenness, I saw that, and, and I saw that in other people. I saw it in the world around me. And if, if there was something wrong with us, if there was something wrong with people, then changing social systems wouldn't make any difference. It would just be the same thing over and over again. So in my freshman year of college, uh, I hear a knock on my door. I open the door, and there's a young man there. He looks at me, he goes, hi, my name's Paul, and I'd like, to come, I'd like to talk to you about establishing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I thought, whoa, it took me by surprise, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm Jewish. He goes, that's okay, so is he. I said, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I said, uh, come on in. So I invited him in the room, I invited some, some of my Jewish friends from down the hall to come join us, and then he began to explain to us why Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So the questions that I came to college with stayed with me, and I, and I realized if there was no God, there was no hope. Uh, that led me on a, on, on a quest, on a search. And in the process of that search, I came across the, the prophecy in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And I remember reading it and the thinking to myself, what's Jesus doing in my Bible? I was surprised as I read it, that, that this was from the prophet Isaiah, and the Jewish prophet. And I said, what's Jesus doing in my Bible? And I began to think, why didn't the rabbi tell me about this? Why didn't he tell me that, that there was a picture of Messiah uh, other than Messiah bringing peace, but a Messiah that was going to suffer and die for us? After college, in order to make extra money, I worked nights and weekends uh, for a kosher caterer in, uh, in Boston. One night, uh, April 30th, 1980, uh, I was at Temple Sinai in Marblehead, Massachusetts. Uh, I was there for a donor dinner, serving a donor dinner. I was asked if I would pack up the truck so everybody else could go home and just I would be left. And I said, fine. So everybody else left. The, the, the ladies uh, had their fundraiser inside the shul and I was outside uh, with a cup of coffee and a cigarette and just thinking about life. All of a sudden, inside the synagogue, the women started praying. Uh, their prayers began to remind me of my own searching and my own struggle, my own uh, journey that I, that, I, that I was on. And as I'm thinking these things, I'm walking around the temple parking lot and I get to the, uh, the end of the parking lot and I look up and before me is a gathering of light and the light forms a figure of a man 
and the and the man is is all in light, and and and, and there was and he was behind, he's in front of a cross, not on the cross, but in front of a cross, and it's all brightly illuminated in front of me, about 20 yards, about 20 yards away from me, as big as life. And I looked up and I saw the figure, and I said, "Oh my God, it's Jesus Christ." And my hands are shaking, and I'm shaking my head on the way home. Did I really see this? Did I really see this? And and it, it, it scared me so much, I decided to, to try to put it out of my mind. So I spent the next couple of weeks just partying and, and uh, going out to bars and just trying to forget about what, what had happened. And I did this for, for a couple of weeks uh, uh, of getting drunk and, and trying to forget. I woke up one morning, I was living at home at the time, and, and I woke up in the morning and, and uh, I was getting my orange juice in, in the kitchen and my mother looks at me and says, Rich, what are you running from? So I came to realize that I wasn't the center of the universe, that, that, that God was, that it wasn't about me, it was about Him. Uh, and it was about me investing my life in, in, in His purposes that He had for me. And that gave me such a feeling of meaning and purpose in my life that it was, it was beyond anything that I, 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 could have, I could have dreamt for. I never thought I'd get the answers. I never thought that, that those were the kinds of things that there were answers to. But now I realize that, that there's a God and that He loves me and that that love sets me free to love and serve others, and love and serve Him. Today I am, uh, I'm married to my beautiful wife Michelle who happens to be Italian. I thought it was more important uh, to, to marry a girl that shared my faith in, in Jesus than it was to marry a Jewish girl. Uh, we have three uh, wonderful boys. Uh, uh, Joshua 27, Micah 26, and Zach 23. They all uh, have come in their place in their life where they have uh, asked Jesus to be uh, their Messiah and Lord, and uh, they are walking with Him, and so we're very proud of them. I Presently, I'm teaching as, as a uh, professor in a graduate school in New York City, and, uh, and really enjoy, delight in being able to share my experience and my journey in my life uh, with these young people uh, in the context of a learning environment. Welcome back. You are listening to The Chosen People. Well, today we had such a good discussion about counting the Omer and uh, how it's significant for the Jewish community, but also for followers of Jesus as well. You know, Bobby, I always have wondered why Jesus didn't stay for the full 50 days, you know, between first fruit and that first day of Pentecost. Right. And uh, that, so that's going to be one of the first questions I rush to ask. I know it's not important to some people, but why did you leave 10 days early? Why didn't mm. you just, you know, give the Holy Spirit? But of course, we read later on that Yeshua needed to leave in order to send the Spirit. And, right. uh, but I still want to know why. But there's just tremendous meaning to this time because, number one, it really helps us as believers remember that he is our faithful high priest. Right. And I love what the writer of the book of Hebrews says in, in chapter 7. The former priests, verse 23, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, the writer says, he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so, whenever he would have done it, 40th day of 
the counting of the Omer was a good enough day for me. But Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he left as he will return in glory, in power. But for these couple of thousand years, he sits as a, what I would imagine is a pretty busy uh, and faithful high priest taking care of his children. Yeah. And I thank God for that. And it also helps us anticipate what's next. From the Lord's perspective, what was next was the giving of the Holy Spirit. Now, from our perspective, what's left is his coming to reign as king, don't you think? Absolutely, absolutely. And honestly, when we think about that, when we think about his return that we're waiting for, that we've been expecting and looking for and hoping for for so many years, so many years, we even see it hinted at and honestly flat out prophesied during the ascension. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples are standing there, they're looking and, and, and deep into the sky until they couldn't see him anymore. And then these angels appear. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So even there at the ascension, right away, the expectation, the hope is set for us for his soon return, for his second coming. And so, in a sense, we're counting down until that great day, just like uh, our Jewish community is counting the Omer, waiting for the Feast of Shavuot or Pentecost. And sometimes believers in Jesus are lulled into not having this incredible sense of anticipation and expectation. And so we're looking forward to that great day. I wish we knew clearly how many days that would be. But I'm sure the Lord doesn't tell us when he's going to return because he doesn't want us to cram holiness. You know what I mean? And so for all of us, may the counting of the Omer in the Jewish community remind us of the anticipation we should have for the second coming of Yeshua. Interested in learning more about the Messianic Jewish faith or the Jewish roots of Christianity? Maybe you want to know how Jewish holidays point to the fulfillment of Jesus. Well then, be sure to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, Inside Israel. You'll receive weekly updates about our ministry, including videos, links to our podcast, a summary of the latest news coming out of Israel, a variety of downloadable resources, discounts in our online store, and so much more. Sign up today when you go online to chosenpeople.com slash offer. That's chosenpeople.com slash offer. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. But if you would like to learn more about this program, about Chosen People Ministries, or if you're curious to discover the deep and rich Jewish history of your faith, then let me encourage you to stop by our website. You'll find a variety of resources available to you today, like our podcast, our television program, articles, and even Hebrew study guides. There's even a resource page for your church. Discover what's available to you today by visiting chosenpeople.com radio. And now to close us with the ironic blessing, here's Dr. Mitch Glazer. Ya'er Adonai Panavalecha Vikunecha
Ρέχα. Ισαντονάε Παναβελέχα. Βιασέμνεχα. Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. The Chosen People is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries.